Welcome back everyone. In this episode, we're gonna be doing something a little different than what we normally do. Normally, I review portfolios of great investors and what stocks they're going long, meaning what stocks they are bullish on, they're invested in. In this case, we're gonna be talking about Jim Chanos, who is known and most notable for going short different companies. Going short meaning betting against, meaning that he believes these companies are going down in price. The companies are a mixture of ones that have either been fraudulent, highly overvalued, or have incredibly poor fundamentals. He identifies these type of companies, he creates short positions, he bets against them, and he waits for the price to go down and he cashes in. And he's been very successful at this in the past. Jim Chanos right now is worth around one and a half billion dollars. He has a history of making correct short bets. For example, he's notable for shorting Enron. Enron before the collapse. He also has bet against Luck and Coffee, another company that collapsed after he bet on it. Uh, he bet against Wirecard. That was another fraudulent company that ended up collapsing. He bet against Hertz Corporation, that rental car company before it went bankrupt. And he's currently shorting a lot of different companies, one of them being Beyond Meat. Now, most of the time, we don't really get to see his short thesis. He doesn't come out with some big write-up on why he's short a company. But luckily for us, he went on to two different interviews on CNBC. He actually lays out in detail why he's currently short Coinbase, General Electric, Sunrun, and Tesla. And I think it's very interesting to see his thoughts because again, most of the time, the only opinions we get are people that are invested in and long companies. But I actually think that short sellers serve a very important role in the market. So let's go ahead and jump right in. The first thing that I wanna to get to is his overall views on the market today. Because before we even jump into his, his short thesis, he actually has a pretty... I think overall negative view on the market right now, he explains it right here. You know, you know, we don't have a view on the market per se. We're pretty much always hedged. Um, but, you know, things are not cheap. Uh, I've said that for a while. Things are not cheap. There you have it. Right off the bat, he sets the tone for the entire interview. And in his opinion, he doesn't think there's a lot of upside in today's market. We continue to see rallies being led by lower quality stocks. Now, this is something that I've been pointing out for a while. So far this year, when I look at the companies that have done the absolute best, the companies really leading this rally, it's junk companies. It's companies that are low quality, whatever you want to call them, companies with extremely poor fundamentals, highly speculative companies. They're the ones that are overall doing the best, leading the charge. And Jim Chanos would say that this is evidence that this is not a great rally. When you see the lowest quality quintile of stocks, leading the charge, that's not a rally that gives him a lot of confidence. Now let's go ahead and jump in to his bear thesis, his short thesis on Coinbase. Yeah, so it's, it's Coinbase is a wonderful example of what I was just talking about. I mean, it had it had a number of very similar rallies last year um, and, and uh, throughout uh, late 2021 and, and throughout 2022 and into 2023, uh, these 50 to 100% rallies are not new to Coinbase. Um, because it's a narrative stock. It's not a fundamental stock. And, and by that, I mean people buy it because they have a view on crypto prices or crypto survival or, or what have you. And the fact of the matter is, as we saw last night, is Coinbase is still losing money. 
So right off the bat, the first thing he mentions with this short thesis on Coinbase is he calls it a narrative stock compared to a fundamental stock. Fundamental would mean that you can go into Qualtrum, you could type in the ticker, you can look at all the metrics, the profitability metrics of free cash flow, the EBITDA, the net income, the earnings per share, and you can see that the company's growing all of its profitability as well as it's trading at a reasonable valuation. And based off of that, coupled with more research, you can invest in the company. A narrative stock is where you say crypto's the future and it's gonna revolutionize the world and it's gonna, it's gonna take it to the banking system. And I have this fundamental, almost religious belief in crypto. So I'm just gonna invest in companies that do anything with crypto. That's the basic difference there or the way that he sees this company. Now, I'm not suggesting that everybody that invests in something like Coinbase is a narrative investor, but he is. He thinks most of the people investing in that type of company are not looking at the fundamentals. Coinbase's results last night where they indicated trading revenues of about 120 million in January, which would be 360 million for the quarter, is not much above the 322 in trading revenues they did in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. So what what's intriguing to us, Scott, is where they're where they're uh, making more money. Remember, they're they're losing money, of course, but they're making it in two areas. One, they actually raised commission rates for retail effectively in the fourth quarter. Round trips for the fourth quarter were costing retail investors 3%, up from 2.7 in the previous quarter. So they actually somehow raised commission rates on, on their customers, which I think is going to go against the grain of things like your friend Josh Brown discussed, which is as Fidelity and Vanguard and others get into this business, commission rates are heading down. And number two, they're not paying interest on customer deposits. That was a huge source of, uh, of interest mm-hmm. income in the quarter. And I just don't think that's a sustainable model as we go from 0% interest rates to 5% interest rates. Not paying, uh, not paying interest on customer deposits will also be competed away, in my, our opinion. So he names off three different fundamental problems with Coinbase. First of all, sluggish revenue. That's a problem for them in trading volume. Second of all, they raised their commission for trading from 2.7 to 3%, which is a very high commission. And he thinks that will be competed away with uh, big brokers like Fidelity entering in. And then he also mentions that they're not paying their customers anything for their deposits, no interest. And he also thinks that will be competed away when the big boys enter into this category. So three or four different fundamental issues with the company. Now, the last thing that he brings up fundamentally is a lot of regulations that will make the entire industry less attractive. And that hasn't happened yet. No, but we think it will. Uh, and, and that's the key point going forward. We think that's still in front of it. So that's a pretty basic thesis on shorting Coinbase. The company loses money. It's low quality. It's charging high fees, which he thinks is unsustainable. It's not paying its customers any interest, which he also thinks is unsustainable. And it has the headwinds of potential regulation. Overall, he has a company that he believes is very unattractive if you went long, very attractive to short. And keep in mind, just as another side note, when Jim Chanos shorts companies, he only shorts them with up to 4% of his portfolio. So he does not use all of his capital to short these companies. If the bets don't work out, it won't torpedo his fund. But he does have pretty sizable positions, up to 4% on these companies. Now, the next short we're going to be talking about is General Electric. And this is a company that I really don't spend much time thinking about because I think in terms of going long, investing in companies, and General Electric never crosses my mind of a company to go long. But being short, this company is actually very interesting. We are short GE. Um, and and 
GE is a really interesting story because as people have rushed into, uh, besides low quality stocks, the other area that you know that uh, investors have really kind of rushed into in the last three, four months has been industrials. And GE is up 75% um, in the last uh, four months since the end of the third quarter. Um, and it's up because uh, they, they've begun their long-awaited uh, uh, breakup plan, which was announced uh, way back at the end of 2020. Uh, and the first spinoff occurred in the first, uh, first week of January. They spun off healthcare. So uh, GE's had a monster run. It's, it's trading uh, in the mid-80s. And what's fascinating is that uh, since they've announced the split-up plan, uh, earnings estimates just continue to get cut. So GE's price is going up like crazy. It's up 70% from the lows. While the company's earnings revisions, the future projected earnings are being revised downwards continually. In the past three months, they have zero upward revisions and 18 downward revisions. You can see the expected earnings over these different timelines just falling off a cliff. So that's the first thing that I think catches his attention, but he continues on with his thesis here. Yeah, announced the fourth quarter. And I joked that there were pages and pages of adjustments in that earnings release. You can go back and check it out yourself. You'll be uh, you'll be surprised at just how many pro forma adjustments GE makes to its earnings. Um, the estimate was cut for. I'm not surprised about that. I've seen these adjusted earnings where they adjust earnings of adjusted numbers of adjusted numbers, and by the time they get done with their ten adjustments, they've basically fabricated almost any number they want to. It's it's pretty egregious what some companies do. And I, I've gone over this many times, different examples of it, but I have not looked at GEs. For this year to $1.60 to $2. Well, with a stock at, in, in the mid 80s, we know that GE's not trading on a PE basis, right? It's not trading at 40 to 50 times. So what it is, is it's trading on a sum of the parts basis that, that analysts have said, okay, they'll they'll spin off aerospace or, or aerospace, they'll sell uh, uh, renewables and power generation and keep aerospace, whatever. Um, the problem is, is that the sell side hasn't done their homework properly. In all of the models that we've seen on some of the parts, which value the stock on average at about $89 on a breakup, mind you, the stock is trading about $5 below that. Um, they're using anywhere. They're using net liabilities of anywhere from zero to fourteen billion dollars for GE. Now, now that we have healthcare spun off in January, we can actually do the numbers and we can see what the long-term liabilities are. And if you give GE a hundred cents on the dollar credit for their current assets and all of their investments, including their twenty percent remaining stake in GE Healthcare, and you subtract the liabilities and preferred stock, the net liabilities are thirty-nine billion dollars. So our numbers are anywhere from, from 25 to $39 billion worse than the sell side, which means that and you get a breakup value of somewhere way below the current stock price. So basically, the analysts and the reason that this company is being bid up the way that it is is because of a sum of the parts valuation. That's where you break up all the different segments of a business and you evaluate them all differently rather than the combined P.E. ratio. I think there's some merit to that form of valuation, but he has a more realistic view of what it ultimately will be. And he thinks the sum of the parts valuation ultimately is worth far less than what GE is actually trading at. So no matter which way you value the company, whether you value it on a PE ratio or you value it on some of the parts, 
Jim Channels is saying it's overvalued either way. Now with this short thesis, he's asked about what will happen or what his plans are after the split occurs. Well, GE right now, Scott, is trading at, at over 20 times EBITDA. So the, what our point is, this is a really interesting risk reward trade on the short side because the market is already giving them full credit for the value of all these parts but is not giving them full credit for the, the liabilities that remain. And that's why it's an interesting risk reward. Um, if everything goes right and the bulls get the numbers they think they're gonna get for aerospace, renewables, and power, uh, you know, on average, they think the stock is worth $89. Um, it's at 84. So, you know, the risk reward is, is, is a handful of points, we think, on the upside and, and, and many, many points on the downside. GE just came from $48. It was there in, in September. Um, so uh, again, it underscores just how much some of these industrials have gone up and what's being built into the valuations on these. So that's an interesting way to think about it. He thinks basically the upside for GE is to go to $89. So a tiny bit of upside. And then if his estimates are correct, there's a ton of downside. It could go down 50%. But if you flip that over and you're short the stock, you have a lot of upside and a little bit of downside. So that's the way that he looks at it. I think it's a very interesting bet. Um, I haven't thought about GE a lot, so I liked seeing his perspective on it. Now, the next company that we're going to be looking at as a short thesis is Sunrun. And this is a solar company. It's one of the green energy companies. That's all the craze for the past couple of years. Jim Chanos is short Sunrun. This is, we are short. They're reporting tonight. This, I joke that this is a science project, a very dark science project of a company. Um, they, they lose buckets of money. They have 7.4 billion in net debt and negative EBITDA. Um, they use this sort of cockamamie net present value calculation to get you to focus on, on the value of the panels they install on, on roofs. We, we've joked that this is a roofing company with a subprime mortgage subsidiary. And, and they want you to discount back these 20 to 30 year cash flows from their leases at 5%. Meanwhile, their debt trades at 12%. Uh, they have uh, zero coupon debt outstanding. Um, and, and of course, no one in their right mind thinks their weighted average cost of capital is 5%. Treasuries are at 5%. So they, 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 they go through this ridiculous exercise. We can't believe the auditors and regulators are letting them get away with this type of pro forma calculation. In the meantime, they're losing hundreds of millions of dollars per quarter. All right. So once again, Jim Chanos is complaining about the accounting practices of these companies, that they do these adjusted metrics to make the company basically obfuscate its true financial situation. And that's a common theme that you see with a lot of these companies that are especially ones that are fundamentally speaking, lower quality. Now, just to illustrate this, we can take a look at Sunrun here. This is using the website qualtrum.com. You can gain access to this website with being a Patreon member. So if you haven't already, try it out. I think you'll love it. Now we type in run. That's the ticker for Sunrun there. If we bring it up here. We have, oh, we've got to reload it for a second. All right. So we have Sunrun here and it's down after the earnings. This is a stock that's also been crushed over the past couple of years. We look two years out, it's down 63%. The free cash flow on every single company, you can look at the free cash flow of it. And the reason that I put such an emphasis on the free cash flow is I think it's more difficult for companies to gain. Now this free cash flow for Sunrun goes back to 2013. This is annually, not, not quarterly. And in 2013, they were losing 
hundreds of millions of dollars per year. And this free cash flow just goes more and more negative. Every single year, this company has cash flows out. We can even look at some of the ratios of this company. For example, I often speak about the return on capital employed, how effective a company is at deploying capital and getting a return. Every single year, it's negative for Sunrun. So they deploy capital and that capital just goes away. It's just wasted money. So far, they haven't gotten any returns on it. So if you've been investing for the past decade in Sunrun, you're hoping that the next decade you're going to be paid back. Somehow these metrics are going to move up. So far, investors have not seen that. So I think right off the bat, his thesis on Sunrun looks pretty sound so far, but let's go ahead and continue on with what he has to say here. Um, and, and so it, it, it's, it's somewhat bizarre. It kind of gets to what I've been talking about, which is the misuse of pro forma metrics as a mm-hmm. major cor- source of fraud. Um, and then finally, there's just one darker element that, that I think they need to address which people like Gordon Johnson and others have been talking about, which is that it appears that Sunrun is using two different valuations for investment tax credit purposes, whether you buy these or lease these systems, or whether you buy them for cash or you finance them. And, um, you know, that's inconsistent with IRS regs as to what people claim on their, uh, for their ITCs. I think they're going to get some questions about that on the call tonight. So he really doesn't like their accounting practices, but that is the thesis for being short Sunrun. Now, of course, the next company that he's short is probably the most controversial one. He currently has a short position on Tesla. And for his commentary on this, we're going to go to a different interview where he elaborates in detail why he's short on Tesla. The stock price at the time of this interview was $166. Now it's closer to $200. In my opinion, I think it's highly likely that he's still holding this position because he's been short Tesla for some time. He really he really thinks this company deserves a short position. It's, it's, it's interesting is what the bull case has done. The bear case has been pretty consistent. That the competition was coming in, margins would have to come in, sales would slow from the torrid pace. What I'm more amused by is how the bulls have effortlessly shifted from in October. Uh, this is the only company still growing 40 or 50%. And you can pay 60 times earnings. Uh, last year. In October, the stock was $240. Um, Now that earnings estimates have come in hard for 2023, up 10%, $4.40 versus $4. Now the narrative seems to be, well, yeah, there's a price war going on, but the legacy auto guys are going to be hurt a lot more than Tesla is. Okay. But that just shows you that the auto business is a tough business, right? If you've got a cut price as well as raise price for ebbing supply and demand, you're in the auto business. You're in a cyclical business. The first point that he brings up is that Tesla a year ago was talked about like it wasn't really competing with other car companies because Tesla wasn't a car company and it had unlimited demand. Now we see Tesla lowering prices. We see them competing with other car companies. They're doing it effectively. They're competing really well, but they are competing in the auto industry, which is something that he views as unfavorable. His margins which peaked out in the high 20s, gross margins, are now heading, we think, into the high teens, where they were before they opened China. Now, the next point he brings up is the margins of Tesla. He thinks that they're headed back down. If we look at Tesla right now, we can bring it up on Qualtrim. We go to the ratios chart here, go to gross margins, and we can just take a look at what he's talking about. Tesla's gross margins in 2019, 2018, 2017, they were all in the high teens. 
This is what he's referring to. Then they opened up in China and the margins, they, they rocketed upwards into the, the mid-20s. He's saying they're going back down to the high teens, which margins going down for any company is not a great thing. Tesla lost money through 2019 building cars in the United States. It wasn't until they opened Shanghai and that ramped in a major way that their margins took off. And China right now is their weakest market. Um, so he's, you know, they're wrestling with some issues. And, and the stock is still at almost $550 billion market cap, is trading now at 20 sometimes gross profits. It trades at a premium. I looked before I got here. It actually trades at a premium in terms of its multiples to Ferrari and Porsche. So another thing he points out is how the company's trading. Obviously, the valuation of it is a cause for concern. But you look at Tesla right now, and it's trading as though it's a premium luxury car, like Ferrari, trading at a very high multiple, but Tesla's trying to become a mass market car maker. So it wants to be a mass market car maker and trade as though it's a premium car maker. And that's something that his skeptical mind, his, his short seller mind, he doesn't think that it's likely. You may say that this is overly pessimistic and Tesla can pull it off, but Jim Chanos is somebody that doesn't have a ton of optimism. He, he looks at things and he, he looks at them pretty grim, pretty realistic. He's willing to make these bets against the grain. Now, this next question is very interesting. He gets asked about the stock going up so much over the past couple of months. And isn't that really evidence that he's looking at this the wrong way, that he's incorrect with his bet? Melissa, can I introduce you to some other stocks in my portfolio in the last three weeks that are up more than Tesla, that are going bankrupt? <laughs> I mean, it's been an insane three or four weeks, much like August, July, August. And so you've had stocks like Carvana, Triple, uh, you've had Beyond Meat, which we think runs out of money this year, uh, up 40%, 50%. I mean, so he counters that with two examples of companies where the stock price has surged like crazy, where the fundamentals really don't warrant it, Carvana and Beyond Meat. And he says that Beyond Meat is expected to go bankrupt this year and the stock price raced up anyways. So he doesn't take price movements as evidence that he was right or wrong. I think he just looks at the fundamentals. He looks at the valuation. Now, the next point that he brings up is Tesla's presence in China. You know, I've been saying kind of half tongue in cheek that Tesla is a Chinese car company, and, and it really is. Um, it, the, the bulk of its production is there, and we think almost all its profits are generated there. And so you have all kinds of risks now in light of our, our earlier discussion about the warnings. But on top of that, uh, you have repatriation of capital risk. You have BYD and others just taking massive market share. And Tesla trades at a premium to those companies who are growing faster than they are in, in China. His short thesis on Tesla is he thinks the company is competing with other car companies. He thinks it's losing market share in China and the valuation is stretched. Now, again, you're free to disagree with him. We have a lot of Tesla investors here. That's his take on it, though. He could be wrong. It's not his only position. He's short a number of companies, but Tesla is a very notable one. So there you have it, four companies that Jim Chanos is short on. In my opinion, I think that he has very grounded views on all of these companies. I think they're very realistic. You can agree to disagree, but I find myself just nodding my head, thinking that he has a pretty good thesis on it. He may be wrong, might be wrong on some of them. We don't know, but overall, he has a very good track record. So that's all for now. I hope you enjoyed this video. If you want more content, check out the Patreon. You get Qualtrum and you get exclusive episodes. Hopefully we see you there. If not, we'll see you in the next one.